here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Numbers 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. Number of things happening, ladies and gentlemen, that I want to make you aware of. The Biden administration wants to place on the Federal Communication Commission somebody who wants to destroy conservative talk radio. Somebody who wants to target the Fox News Channel. And here it is, the Wall Street Journal editorial, media censor for the FCC, question mark, nominee Gigi Son, that's G-I-G-I, last name S-O-H-N, wants more government control of the airwaves. I told you that these people are Marxists. When I worked in the Reagan administration, the push was for less government control of the airwaves. So you had a massive deregulation of the media. But, of course, under Biden, things work the other way. Negotiations over the multi-trillion dollar spending bill are consuming Washington. But Biden's effort to supercharge the regulatory state is also steadily advancing. The latest example is nomination of progressive partisan. I don't know why they can't call these people what they are. American Marxist Gigi Son, S-O-H-N, to the Federal Communications Commission. The White House last month held her as one of the nation's leading public advocates for open, affordable, and democratic communications networks. Translation. She favors deploying the agency's regulatory power to shackle broadband providers and silence conservative voices. San found the left-wing group public knowledge and has long sought more government control of the Internet and media. She was a counselor to Obama FCC chair, radical leftist Tom Wheeler, and was a driving force behind the so-called net neutrality regulation that classified broadband providers as common carriers under Title II of the Federal Communications Act of 1934. Now, the Wheeler rule banned broadband carriers from charging heavy bandwidth-consuming websites like Netflix and Facebook more to carry their content. 
The enormous regulatory uncertainty caused broadband investment to decline, though it picked up after the Trump FCC scrapped the rule. But SON, S-O-H-N, supports making the Wheeler rule even more burdensome. She told the media site CNET last year, I'm not advocating for just reinstating old rules. We need to push for FCC authority to adopt policy to handle issues like zero rating and data caps. Marxists want the government to regulate broadband rates like electricity prices, and Sans Musing suggests she be on board. She also hinted at deploying the agency's regulatory power to censor conservative media and revive a version of its mooted fairness doctrine. For all my concerns about Facebook, I believe that Fox News has had the most negative impact on our democracy, she tweeted last year. It's state-sponsored propaganda with few, if any, opposing views, quote-unquote. Ms. San seems to believe that the state is endorsing conservative speech by allowing cable companies to carry it. She also suggested using the FCC's power over broadcast licenses to censor conservative outlets. After Tribune Broadcasting abandoned its merge with the conservative-leaning Sinclair Broadcast Group in 2018, she declared, and I quote, Today is a good day for every American who believes that diversity of voices in the media is better for our democracy, and urged the federal government through the FCC to, quote, look at whether Sinclair's qualified to be a broadcast licensee at all, unquote. She could also use the agency's power to block mergers that expand conservative media's reach. Left-wing activists have petitioned the FCC to block the sale of a Spanish-language radio station in Miami to conservative-leaning America CV network, which Democratic Congress members suggest in a letter to the agency wasn't operating the quote-unquote public interest and might have propagated election misinformation. In other words... The American Marxists, their media, their Democrat Party, their bureaucrats, their would-be bureaucrats, want to control speech. They want to control the press, which they control 98% as it is. They want to snuff out Fox and OAN and Newsmax. They want to snuff out and undermine conservative talk radio. And this is the point of the spear. Gigi San, S-O-H-N. And her nomination is before the United States Senate next week. The FCC is currently split two to two. And if she's confirmed, Democrats will move quickly on the progressive agenda, a.k.a. Marx's agenda. Mr. Biden has also recommended Commissioner Jessica Rosenworcel. Now, she's bad enough. She's a radical kook. But San, San is a nut job. Ms. San's strident partisanship would disqualify her from serving as an officer of an independent agency with so much power to control the public airwaves. There's also a risk that Biden could designate her as chair after she's confirmed, as he did with radical Lina Khan on the Federal Trade Commission. The Senate Commerce Committee plans to hold a confirmation hearing for San next week, and senators of both parties need to ask her some tough questions. So, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I would strongly encourage you to call Manchin's office and Cinema's office all over the country and tell them, of course, not to support the fundamental transformation of the greatest country in the face of the earth, being pushed by Sanders and AOC, any other Stalinists, 
By the way, the phrases I'm using now are ubiquitous on talk radio, so I want to thank the bank benches. Keep it up, baby. Keep it up. But ladies and gentlemen, they need to also be told that you want an objective, independent Federal Communications Commission and that Gigi San, S-O-H-N, that Gigi San must be defeated. She must be defeated. She has no right to sit on the FCC and to use the authority like she's a Stalinist against free speech and freedom of the press. So you see the difference between a Reagan administration and a Biden and Obama. Reagan wanted to open up debate. He wanted to open up the exchange of ideas because that's what we believe in. That's what the founders believed in. But not the radical left in America, the American Marxists. The FCC is enormously powerful, ladies and gentlemen, enormously powerful. And if you like watching Fox or AON or Newsmax or you like listening to this program and conservative talk radio, you best contact Mansion and Cinema and make it abundantly clear that this radical extremist must be rejected because somebody in the Biden administration is trying to shut down free speech and freedom of communication. It's bad enough what's going on in this country with the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost with the Constipated News Network and MSLSD, with CBS and ABC and NBC. It's bad enough that they refuse to even acknowledge that half or more of the country shares beliefs different than theirs. But this woman will unleash a war against speech. She's a censor. She'll unleash a war against cable programming that you like. She'll unleash a war against conservative talk radio. She must be defeated. She must be stopped. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. I believe it was March 5th, 2017, when I did a radio show using exhibits, exhibits from the public media, piecing together what was an effort of really domestic espionage and sabotage against what was the Trump campaign 
and then the Trump presidency? You remember that? And you remember how I came under attack with very few friends in this business defending me. A couple, but very few. And uh, that'll be five years come March. And the reason was they knew that they were lying. They knew that they were covering up. They knew that they were doing the Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Joe Biden plan. Russia collusion was hatched by the Clinton campaign in collusion with the Obama administration. That now is abundantly clear. That is abundantly clear. These people are sleazeballs. Look at Jeff Zuckerberg using over $400 million to try and effectively influence the election. They don't play by the rules. And yet here we have a January 6th commission trying to take in as many Trump people as possible. This is tyranny moving aggressively towards totalitarianism. I want to read something from Sean Davis, who is terrific over at the Federalist. And he wrote this the other day. I believe it was Sunday, maybe Monday. Over at the Federalist. The U.S. intelligence officials were so concerned heading into the 2016 election that the Russians were aware of and potentially manipulating Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's plans to smear Donald Trump as a Russian agent that they personally briefed President Barack Obama on the matter. Newly classified CIA documents show... CIA officials also request that the FBI investigate Russian knowledge of the Clinton campaign's collusion smear operation. So Barack Obama knew from day one that this was phony. Brennan knew from day one that this was phony. They knew it was phony. And they knew that this was coming from the Clinton campaign. Newly declassified handwritten notes from former CIA director John Brennan show that the U.S. intelligence community knew in 2016 that Russian intelligence was actively monitoring and potentially injecting disinformation into Clinton's anti-Trump collusion narrative. The intelligence concerning Russia's knowledge of Clinton's campaign plans was so concerning to Brennan and other national security officials that they personally informed Obama of the matter in the Oval Office in the summer of 2016. The handwritten notes from Brennan were declassified by Director of National Intelligence, DNI, John Ratcliffe, and provided to Congress on Tuesday afternoon. On Tuesday afternoon. Brennan was all over TV pushing this narrative, wasn't he? Obama was all over the place pushing this narrative about the Russians, the Clinton campaign, and their media. This is the biggest fraud ever committed against the American people, ever. You talk about an insurrection. This was an insurrection. According to the declassified notes, Brennan and U.S. intel community knew months prior to the 2016 election that the collusion smear was the result of a campaign operation hatched by the campaign of Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. We're getting additional insight into Russia activities from Redact, Brennan's handwritten notes state. 
cite alleged approval by Hillary Clinton on 26 July of a proposal from one of her foreign policy advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by the Russian security services. You know who that foreign policy advisor was, ladies and gentlemen? We now know today, Jake Sherman, the national security advisor who currently serves, who currently serves under Joe Biden. The notes appear to have been prepared by Brennan to memorialize the meeting he held in the White House with the president and his top national security advisors. Included in Brennan's notes are the responses of other participants in the briefing, including those of former White House national security advisor Susan Rice, former White House Chief of Staff Dennis McDonough, former DNI James Clapper, for those responses are redacted. This is what we need a commission to investigate. At one point, Obama asked whether there was any evidence of collaboration between the Trump campaign and Russia, but any response that may have been recorded in Brennan's notes is redacted. Moreover, the CIA and other intelligence agencies also suspected early on that many of the key claims underpinning the collusion narrative could themselves be the product of deliberate Russian disinformation. Last week, Ratcliffe released a declassified memo based in part on Brennan's notes, noting that Russian intel was aware of the Clinton campaign's plan. Let me get the date of this correct because I blew it. This is last year, October 2020. I'm just uh, underscoring this right now. While the Clinton campaign hired Christopher Steele, a foreign agent in the pocket of sanctioned Russian oligarch, to concoct a dossier of allegations against Trump, the primary source of most of the salacious and damning allegations of treasonous collusion came from a suspected Russian spy named Igor Denchenko, who has since been indicted. So the, just to understand, this was released last year, the indictments of Denchenko and the Sussman, Michael Sussman, a partner of Mark Elias. Now we have this guy, Jake Sherman, the National Security Advisor. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, this entire fraud, this entire fraud that went on for years, that involved a criminal investigation, that involved Democrat hearings, that involved a poisonous, corrupt, anti-American media, was all hatched by Hillary Clinton, the DNC, and the Obama administration. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, America's tyranny hunter. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Uh, correction, I keep saying Jake Sherman. It's Jake Sullivan, of course. And here's the piece in today's New York Post. President Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, is referred to in one of the indictments obtained by John Dorm in his investigation into the origins of the Russia probe of former President Donald Trump, Fox News reports. The revelation, which echoed a September piece by Post columnist Paul Sperry, and Paul Sperry is a tremendous journalist, immediately raised questions about Sullivan's future in the White House. I don't think so. They'll probably promote him. Sullivan is unnamed, but Fox cited two well-placed sources who identified him as the foreign policy advisor referenced in the charges against former DNC lawyer Michael Sussman. 
And the development marks the closest the dorm has come to anyone directly associated with the Biden administration. No, 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 no. That's not correct. Barack Obama. Barack Obama knew about this in 2016. Sussman's indictment details how an unnamed Clinton campaign lawyer exchanged emails with the Clinton campaign manager, communications director, and foreign policy advisor concerning the Russia Bank One allegations that Sussman recently shared with an unnamed reporter. In addition to citing sources who identified Sullivan as the unnamed foreign policy advisor, Sperry's post column further suggests that he may have committed perjury during closed-door congressional testimony in December 2017. Devin Nunes, the then-ranking member of the Intelligence Committee, said it seems like a lot of the key Russian hoaxers fell upward and got promotions in the Biden administration. If Jake Sullivan was involved in the hoax, he should come clean and give a full, honest account of his role, but I won't hold my breath. That time, Sullivan reportedly denied knowing any specific details about the campaign's opposition research efforts or that Sussman's law firm was working for the campaign until October that year. During Tuesday's White House press briefing, Deputy Press Idiot Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked if there's any conflict here that would preclude Sullivan from being able to carry out his duties. She was unaware of the Fox report, which had yet to post at the time, and declined to comment. She was also asked about the largely discredited dossier of opposition research on Trump compiled by former British spy Christopher Steele, one of whose sources, Russian analyst Igor Danchenko was arrested in connection with the Dorn probe. I refer you to the Department of Justice. I'm not going to comment on that from here. The Department of Justice wouldn't return quests, requests for comment. This is the greatest scandal, the greatest coup effort, the greatest insurrection effort in modern American history. They can talk about January 6th all they want. This came from the top. This is one of the reasons Liz Cheney wants nothing to do about this, has never asked to look into this, ever. Instead, they're subpoenaing more people. More people around Donald Trump. They're not trying to get the facts. They're trying to create a non-existent scandal around the president for which there's already criminal investigations going on, not one of them has pulled him in. But listen to what was done by Hillary Clinton, the DNC. Listen to what was done by the Obama administration, and Obama himself was well aware of this and played stupid the whole time. It is amazing. And of course, Biden didn't have to play stupid, but he was aware of this too. And these people were on TV pushing this conspiracy theory. Pushing it. On TV, pushing the conspiracy theory. When Brennan and Clapper knew there was nothing to it, in fact, their own agencies were concerned that the Russians were spinning and giving information to the Clinton campaign to use against Trump. You know, it never made sense to me here. I said, why would the Russians want Hillary Clinton as president? And excuse me, why wouldn't the Russians want Hillary Clinton as president? Why would they prefer Donald Trump? That has never made any sense. Because Hillary, like Biden, gives them anything they want. So this is an amazing thing. Now that, we have clips of that May 5th uh, radio show, don't we, Mr. Producer? But uh, I'm trying to remember, they're fairly extensive, aren't they? 
So it was before May 5th. Excuse me, March. March 2nd or 3rd. Why don't we see if we can find that? And let me know how long those are. But in the meantime, in the meantime, Morgan Ortegas was on The View. Filling in for somebody. And there was Adam Schiff. And I want you to listen to this because this is important. Cut 11, go. You've been really prolific over the past few years being the head of the Intel Committee, and you defended, promoted, you even read into the congressional record the Steele dossier. Um, And we know last week the main source of the dossier was indicted by the FBI for lying about most of the key claims in that dossier. Do you have any reflections on your role in promoting this to the American people? Well, first of all, whoever lied to the FBI or lied to Christopher Steele should be prosecuted, uh, and they are. Uh, And unlike in the Trump administration, if they're convicted, they should go to jail, not be pardoned. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Donald Trump pardoned Roger Stone for lying. He pardoned Michael Flynn for lying. This is called um, creating a distraction. She asked about him. Go ahead. Should go to jail. Um, but at the beginning of the Russian investigation, I said that any allegations should be investigated. We couldn't have known, for example, people were lying to Christopher Steele. So it was proper to investigate them. And let's not forget what we learned in that investigation. We learned that the Trump campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, was giving internal polling data, campaign polling data, to Russian intelligence while Russian intelligence was helping the Trump campaign. And to be clear, he was fired halfway through the campaign. Well, he may have been fired. Yeah. How, the, how, was the, how was Russian intelligence helping the Russia, the uh, Trump campaign? I'm just curious. Now, Joe Biden gives them a pipeline. Seems to me that's worse than giving polling data, isn't it, Mr. Producer? But nonetheless, go ahead. Continued and even beyond the effort to get Russian help. But you the may president have spread Russian disinformation get... yourself for years by promoting this. I think that's what Republicans and what people who entrusted you as the Intel Committee chair are so confused about your culpability in all of this. Well, I, I completely disagree with your premise. Uh, it's one thing to say allegations should be investigated, and they were. Mm-hmm. It's another to say that we should have foreseen in advance that some people were lying to Christopher Steele, which is mm-hmm. impossible, of course, to do. But, but let's not use that as a smokescreen to somehow shield Donald Trump's culpability for inviting Russia to help him in the election, which for they help, did. For inviting Russia to help him in the election. He was mocking the whole attack on him. Just look how this guy, he should be working for the old KGB. Sometimes you wonder if he isn't. Look at the spin. So Trump says, if the Russians want to help me, they can help me, or something to that effect, as a, as a mocking joke about the harassment he's dealing with, that the Russians are involved, the Russians are involved. This came flat out of the Clinton campaign. The funding for the dossier came flat out of the Clinton campaign in the DNC. Hillary Clinton and advisors around her were involved in this. One of them now an advisor to Biden. They knew it was a lie. Brennan knew it was a lie. Clapper knew it was a lie. You have to believe these senior officials at the FBI who wanted to take out Trump. They knew it was a lie. And you wonder why Trump tweeted the way he did and lashed out the way he did against his enemies? Imagine if you were treated like this. Then they have a criminal investigation against a man who didn't do anything. Nothing. Nothing. They drag his kids through depositions. They did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Then they want his tax records. He did nothing. 
the Democrat Party, the Obama administration, the media in America, the iron triangle of totalitarianism and tyranny, they're the ones who did this and dragged the American people through it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And listen to this fool. Go ahead. Or trying to coerce Ukraine into helping him in the next election, mm. which he did, uh, into inciting an erection, uh, insurrection, which he did. Um, none yeah, of that is undercut. Good. None of that serious misconduct is in any way diminished by the fact that people lied to Christopher Steele. No, I think just your credibility is. Well, I think the credibility of your question, the credibility of your question uh, is in doubt. Good for her. She nailed him. She nailed him. Outstanding. I mean, really, folks? This is the greatest fraud, fraud ever committed on the American people. And it took the Obama administration using federal law enforcement and intel agencies as well as the Oval Office crowd. It took the Democrats in Congress who were in on it and the Hillary Clinton campaign. She has to be the sleaziest human being on the face of the earth. Always involved in, in, in questionable activity and as evil as they come. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. You know, uh, Joe Biden says uh, the American people don't really understand how the supply chain works. And my friend Jen, she reminded me of how many times I have played the, the six-minute clip I pencil on this program over the course of almost 20 years. That we, in fact, do understand how the supply chain works. It's that Biden and his ilk have no comprehension of how a pencil is made, or anything else for that matter. None. None. We have a guest next hour. Her name is Julie Kelly. She writes at American Greatness. And she's very much hated by the corrupt, phony media in this country because she's done more reporting and better reporting than anybody else on what's going on with the detainees the January 6th detainees. And she should be getting a Pulitzer Prize. Which raises the question, the Pulitzer Prizes that were handed out for reporting on Russia collusion, will they be returned? Because if they're not, they're in essence the same as a scarlet letter for these corrupt bastards in the media that pushed this agenda. How many times did we hear the legal analysts tell us that an indictment was on the way. How many times did we hear the legal analysts refer to the dossier? How many times did we hear from the legal analysts that Trump was obviously paid off by the Russians, that he wasn't being tough on the Russians? As Hillary Clinton sat there with that stupid, enshrined look on her face. I actually feel sorry for Bill Clinton, you want to know the truth, but that's a whole other story. As Clapper and Tapper and Rudolph 
and whatever. As they sat there and they knew these were lies. As Obama sat there and knew these were lies. As Biden sat there and knew these were lies. Comey knew they were lies. Every one of these bums should be rounded up. They're the ones who should be getting subpoenas. They're the ones who should be compelled to testify. That is the greatest insurrection in modern American history. Led by the Democrat Party. By the Obama administration through and through. By Hillary Clinton. And the miscreants and malcontents she surrounded herself with. <coughs> That's the greatest insurrection. That's the greatest insurrection. There's Liz Cheney. I've come to detest her. And the, all the other members of this committee. This is a select committee, selected personally by the Democrat Speaker of the House. Eva Stretch Pelosi. Selected by the committee, following her orders. Following her orders. To go after Donald Trump yet again. To go after the people around him yet again. To bankrupt them with legal fees yet again. And what is the closest thing to a Stalinist response that we've ever seen in this country? Ever. That's what's taking place now. It's really quite unbelievable, actually. And yet it is what it is. By the way, two great guests on this Sunday's Life, Liberty, and Levin. Jason Whitlock, the great Jason Whitlock, who is with Blaze, by the way. And he's fantastic. And we also have Representative Donalds, Byron Donalds. Who I think on the national TV show, he was first on my show. Because I watched him speak in some news clip. I said, who is that guy? He is terrific. So we'll have both of them on the show to discuss a number of things, including how the other networks are talking about the lieutenant governor-elect of Virginia and the people who voted out Democrats. We will talk about that. We will talk about the history of the racist left coming out of mouths. Well, see, I can't say the opposite of what they say. I'm not allowed. And ladies and gentlemen, Media Matters is still on our radar here at the Levin Show. And some of the things we're looking at now are cautious interference with this broadcast, with this business, with my contract. Cautious interference. Look it up. I've talked about it before. Eyeballing a whole spectrum of issues. Ladies and gentlemen, a lot more when I return. Please stick with us. See you in a moment. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. 
Well, on the radio, we believe it was March 2nd, we have it on a Thursday, 2017, when I started to put the pieces together about the attack on candidate and President Trump. That Sunday, March 5th, I appeared on Fox and Friends Sunday, and Pete Hegseth was kind enough to allow me to speak at some length. Then on March 6th, that Monday night, I appeared on Hannity and underscored exactly what I had said twice before. And this started the entire process, including in Congress, of looking into what would now become these dorm indictments. But I could smell a rat having served in the Justice Department as Chief of Staff for for some time. So let's just take a little listen and close the circle here. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. The evidence is overwhelming. This is not about President Trump's tweeting. This is the Obama administration's spying. And the question isn't whether it's spied. We know they went to the FISA court twice. The question is, who did they spy on? The extent of the spying. That is, the Trump campaign, the Trump transition, Trump surrogates. And I want to walk you through this, the American people. Exhibit one. Exhibit one. This is all public. Head Street. Two separate sources with links to the counterintelligence community have confirmed that the FBI sought and was granted a Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court. This is spying. Uh, in October, giving counterintelligence permission to examine the activity of, quote, U.S. persons in Donald Trump's campaign with ties to Russia. Let me go on. This isn't me. They say the first FISA request, sources say, name Trump was denied back in June, denied by the court. Mm-hmm. But the second was drawn more narrowly and was granted in October after evidence was presented of a server possibly related to the Trump campaign and its alleged links to two banks. Now, sources suggest that a FISA warrant was granted to look at the full content of emails and other related documents that may concern U.S. persons. Now, I know people are hung up with Trump's word wiretapping. Well, how'd they get access to this server information? Does it really matter? If it was wiretapping, electronic surveillance, or whatever it was. Exhibit 2, The Guardian, a well-known right-wing British paper. Here it is. uh, Quote, The Guardian has learned the FBI applied for a warrant from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court over the summer in order to monitor four members of the Trump team suspected of irregular contacts with Russian officials. Keep in mind, this is during a presidential election. The sitting president, the incumbent party, is now investigating the presidential candidate of the Republican Party and his campaign, to some extent. The FISA court turned down the application asking FBI counterintelligence investigators to narrow its focus. According to one report, the FBI was finally granted a warrant in October. Exhibit 3, McClatchy, another well-known right-wing newspaper. Here they have the agencies. Headline, FBI, five other agencies. Five other Obama administration agencies probe possible covert Kremlin aid to Trump. The FBI and five other law enforcement intelligence agencies have collaborated for months in an investigation into Russian attempts to influence the November election, including whether money from Kremlin uh, covertly aided presidential-elect Donald Trump. Two people familiar with the matter said the agencies involved in the inquiry are the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the Justice Department the Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, and representatives of the Director of the National Intelligence. 
Are you telling me Barack Obama didn't know it was Mark, going on in six go, agencies? As you hold go on, on hold Mark, on, how are hold you? On. Okay, keep going. I'm not done. I need to make the case because the media seems to be confused about their own reporting. New York Times, another well-known liberal outlet, intercepted Russian communications part of inquiry into Trump associates January 19. The FBI is leading the investigations aided by the NSA, the CIA, Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Unit. The investigators have accelerated their efforts in recent weeks, but have found no exclusive, conclusive evidence of wrongdoing. Listen to this. One official said intelligence reports based on some of the wiretap communications have been provided to the White House. This is the New York Times. Another right wing outlet. Four. Another right wing outlet. Let's yeah. continue. <laughs> New York Times again. NSA gets more latitude to share intercepted communications. In the final days of the Obama administration, uh, the administration has expanded the power of the NSA to share globally intercepted personal communications with the government's 16 other intelligence agencies before applying privacy protections. Now, why would they do this on the way out the door? Well, March 1, Exhibit 6, Obama administration rushed to preserve intelligence of Russian election hacking. In the Obama administration's last days, listen to this, some White House officials scrambled to spread information about Russian efforts to undermine the presidential election and about possible contacts between associates of President-elect Trump and Russians across the government. I'm not done. <laughs> Exhibit 7, New York Times. Flynn is said to have talked to Russians about sanctions Trump took office. Well, where'd they get this information? Well, Mark, you know, the FISA court, they're always monitoring the, uh, the uh, Russian ambassador. And so how do we know that? Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But there's an awful lot of other activity. Sure. Here we have Washington Post. One more. Washington Post, March 2nd. U.S. investigators have examined <laughs> contacts Attorney General Sessions had with Russian <laughs> officials during the time he was advising Donald Trump's campaign. The focus of the U.S. counterintelligence investigation has been on communication between Trump campaign officials mm -hmm. and Russia. Listen to this. The inquiry involving Sessions is examining his contacts while serving as Trump's foreign policy advisor in the spring and summer of 2016. This has been going on for a year. So here I had, live now, pieced together leaks that were coming out of the White House the FBI, the intelligence agencies, and Congress to their friends in the media. And they were reporting these leaks. So I'm pulling them together and saying, wait a second. These phony journalists, these propagandists are putting out stories and trying to hurt Trump. But if you put them together, you see a conspiracy. A conspiracy within the federal government where they are where they are eavesdropping in one form or another, where they are using the Patriot Act, the FISA court, where they are using the media, where information is dribbling out. And so I pulled it together from these different, there was a lot more of these stories. I said, look at this. Look at what they're doing to Trump and his people. One more clip. It's a bit shorter from March 5, 2017. Go. How confident are you that this new this investigation, which was on Russian so-called Russian hacking, but now the White House says this morning will be broadened to looking into executive overreach? How confident Look, are you they will find something there? I don't know, but let, they already found something. The issue isn't whether the Obama administration spied 
on the Trump campaign or transition or certain of its surrogates. The issue is the extent of it. Mm -hmm. They went into court a second time. They were so aggressive. They waited four or five months. They go back in October, weeks before the general election. And by the they way, we now request. know they went into court. All of a sudden, we now know they went into court multiple times to get extensions. Go ahead. We have leaks coming out on Flynn. Then we have a oh a horrible meeting that took place between Sessions and so forth. And I'm telling you, as a former chief of staff to an attorney general of the United States in the Reagan administration, these are police state tactics. Now, what did Barack Obama know? He knew everything I just read to you part, apart from one or two articles. You know how I know? It's in the newspapers. It's right there. So Barack Obama not only knew this, but he gets a daily intelligence briefing. And let me tell you something about daily intelligence briefings. If your attorney general and your FBI is going to the FISA court yep. to get a warrant to investigate aspects of an opposition party in the middle of a general election campaign, how much you want to bet the president of the United States knew that? I don't want to Read bet his you opinion. on that. And we now know, of course he did, from the documents that Radcliffe released last year. It's all coming together a little too late. And with Liz Cheney working on behalf of Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, what they're trying to do is now distract the American people from this unbelievable effort that was undertaken using the institutions in the federal government by the Obama administration, colluding with the Hillary Clinton campaign, washing money through this Perkins Coie law firm, the bag man essentially being Mark Elias, the same guy involved in these various elections with dark money supporting him. And this is really quite remarkable. And the man now who's providing Joe Biden with advice on national security, Jake Sullivan, was up to his eyeballs in it. As were most of these people, quite frankly. A complete fraud. A criminal investigation, congressional hearings, day in and day out attacks on Donald Trump, when the whole thing was this dirty trick, this dirty trick to destroy the confidence of the American people in the newly elected president and in their system. And they dare to attack Donald Trump for his tweets, for his pushback, and even over January 6th, we had no direct role in anything. I'll be right back. You know, folks, uh, Julie Kelly, American Greatness, deserves a Pulitzer Prize. I think the media that got Pulitzer Prizes on the Russia collusion story should turn those in. Uh, but they won't, of course. And, uh, and Julie should get at least one of those. Um, and she wrote a piece yesterday, Where Are the Neon-Hatted Proud Boys? Julie Kelly, welcome back. Where are they? What's going on? Mark, thank you. Thank you so much for that. You're just overly kind. I appreciate what you just said. Um, yes, that's a good question. Where are all those alleged proud boys wearing orange neon caps uh, on January 6th, marching with alleged leaders of the proud boys who, by the way, Mark, at least five of them are in pretrial detention, have been held denied bail like so many January 6th defendants. 
languishing, rotting in prison, awaiting trials that won't start until next spring. But yet you have all of these other strange characters behind them uh, doing pretty much the same thing that they were. But not only have they not been charged, they haven't been identified. They're not even on the FBI's most wanted list, 1,500 photographs. Not one has a neon hat on. So it seems a little strange. It seems uh, ridiculous. And um, you also broke the story about the conditions in the uh, D.C. corrections facility. Um, I had you on. We talked about it. We were mocked by the Washington Post's Philip Bump, who has never been to the facility to check out what took place. We know a federal judge, Royce Lambert, who sent the U.S. Marshals in there at a surprise inspection. And basically the judge said the conditions are disgusting. They're unacceptable. That, that detainees may have civil rights issues. And I noticed the Washington Post didn't pick up on that either, Julie. Did you notice that? Hmm, that's, yes, another thing that seems to be missing in this huge puzzle. Um, as they mocked us, and certainly have covered with the most heated incendiary rhetoric every January 6th case and defendant, uh, they don't seem to be interested, not only in the conditions that they found for the January 6th, the, the political prison there, but also just the general conditions of that mm-hmm. D.C. jail. They're so bad, they're actually moving out for, uh, 400 inmates. Uh, and I'm also hearing word, Mark, that they are going to be moving out a lot of the January 6th defendants as well. It's just an abusive, disgusting, drug-ridden hellhole for everyone who's there. But it's important to note that the January 6th defendants have not been convicted of any crime yet. Mm-hmm. They are simply there under pretrial detention orders uh, dictated by D.C. district court judges who are as bad as federal prosecutors. You point out here BuzzFeed's investigative report in the Whitmer case, the governor of Michigan, which exposed the use of at least 13 FBI undercover agents and informants, described mm-hmm. Operation Cold Snap as a far-reaching, multi-state domestic terrorism investigation into alleged militia groups. The 13 non-FBI perpetrators of the Whitmer kidnapping scheme were ensnared or entrapped, as their lawyers argue, under the ruse of Operation Cold Snap. The point is, they're lawyers and they argue, we wouldn't even have thought about doing this stuff. These guys were dragging us by our nose, pushing us to do it, dragging us to do it, encouraging us to do it. As I understand, the head FBI undercover um, agent, uh, he's now been charged with domestic abuse or something of that extent. Why in the world are they encouraging people to kidnap the governor of Michigan? Well, because the timing was perfect for them. This is another example, Mark, of the FBI interfering in an election. Because what happened was you had 13 undercover agents, informants, and handlers who helped single-handedly concoct this scheme, get sort of these random sad sacks to uh, act as the perpetrators, They plotted everything. The FBI paid for organizational trips. They paid for surveillance trips. One of their key informants held what was called the National Militia Conference. This is legit. In June of 2020, begged people who were just on random Facebook accounts, uh, groups, to to come to this conference. Uh, There were feds everywhere. And as BuzzFeed noted, and anyone who hasn't read this investigative report really should, as they noted, without the FBI, this never would have happened. But, of course, the arrests and the announce occur when? 
October 8th of 2020, the key state of swing of Michigan, as early voting is underway. Who knows how many votes were affected by, you know, this this caper got nationwide headlines. Gretchen Whitmer held a dramatic press conference. Joe Biden made all kinds of comments about how this was Joe, uh, Donald Trump's fault. And so this is just an extension of that Operation Cold Snap leading up to the events of January 6th. And BuzzFeed is a rather liberal, if not left-wing, uh, platform. Um, and so I, I want to go further here, you say, that uh, the defendants in this case are in the process of receiving long-delayed discovery from the Justice Department that will gradually reveal the full extent of the FBI's involvement in several January 6th cases. In a filing last month for Glenn Croy, a Trump supporter from Colorado pleaded guilty to one misdemeanor, Croy's defense attorney informed the court that recent discovery disclosures confirmed FBI agents were in the crowd at the Capitol that day. Of course FBI agents were in the crowd that day. There's no question FBI agents were in the crowd that day. There's no question they had informants, as you point out. People, uh, the Proud Boys, some of the leaders, uh, were informants to the FBI. The idea that the FBI wouldn't have been in that crowd is nonsensical. It makes no sense. And when confronted on that, the Attorney General of the United States wouldn't say. If there were not, uh, if there were not FBI agents in there, he would say, of course there weren't FBI agents in there. But he didn't say it, did he? Peter Don, and you're talking about when Representative Thomas Massey confronted Merrick Garland with clips of a man named Ray Epps, who was all over, not just January 6th, but the evening before, encouraging um, people, protesters or demonstrators, just Trump supporters, that they were going to storm the Capitol, were going to go into the Capitol, he kept saying. He was on Constitution Avenue uh, as people were leaving Trump's speech. Okay, the Capitol's this way. We're going that way. He was also, Mark, more importantly, right behind Ryan Samsell, who's hearing I cover today another travesty. All right, we have a break. I want to get back to this guy. And where is this guy? And why aren't the media hunting him down? Stick with me. America's passionately cerebral voice. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. Wrong with Julie Kelly, American Greatness. Julie, you raised the issue here that the Proud Boys, um, really the directions went out to kind of uh, become part of the crowd, don't stand out. And yet we have these individuals with these orange fluorescent winter caps on. Uh, in the middle of what? The summer? Or or the fall? But I think it was the summer. Or November, whenever. And so, uh, January 6th. And they're wearing these hats, and they stand out. And people are wondering, okay, what happened to these people? How come none of them have been charged? How come none of them are actually even known? Who are they? And uh, so that's, that's the neon-hatted Proud Boys you talk about. And then you, uh, you talk about the Oath Keepers, uh, that the founder, Stuart Rhodes, is person one in every indictment, but he hasn't been charged at all. Mm-hmm. And so you're raising the question that Philip Bump at the Washington Post, that Maggie Haberman at the New York Times, that none of these people will ask, which is, and you're leading to the point, was this 
attack on the Capitol building instigated by the Federal Bureau of Investigation on January 6th. Was it instigated? And the question now is, as you point out, uh, why have certain people not been arrested? People who are prominent in video, people who are prominent in photographs, why have they not been arrested? And in particular, there's this one fellow who's running all around the place. We've seen it in the video that was recently released. And by the way, as you know, Julie, the prosecutors didn't want to release any video if they get away with that. Um, Mm -hmm. Who's running around instigating, urging people, as you point out, to go into the Capitol. The Capitol side with big guy. What was his name? Epps? Ray Epps. Yeah. Where is Ray Epps? What do we know about Ray Epps? So Ray Epps is sort of like the Where's Waldo of January 5th and 6th. He sort of pops up everywhere, and you see him instigating people and instructing people what to do, including, as I said, Ryan Samsel, who was the first protester to breach police lines uh, on the west side of the Capitol. Right before he did that, Ray Epps whispered in his ear, and he turned his hat around, make America great hat, so everyone could see it, and confronted police. And that initiated the first breach of the Capitol right before 1 o'clock on January 6th. Uh, Ray Epps does have ties to the Oath Keepers. Apparently, several years ago, he was the head of the Arizona chapter of the Oath Keepers. So he has some ties to Stuart Rhodes, who, as you said, is the founder of the Oath Keepers. He is person one in every Oath Keeper. There's now on their fifth superseding indictment in that wide-ranging conspiracy case, 20 defendants including three who are still in the D.C. jail under pretrial detention, accused of no violent crime, by the way, Mark. But Stuart Rhodes is still walking around a free man. And it's not even clear that he's been interrogated by the FBI, you know, as the FBI goes across the country, raiding people's homes, bashing down their doors at 530 in the morning, arresting them, interrogating them in front of their children. Yet Stuart Rhodes is still walking around. How is this possible? Why is how is Ray Epps still free? Um, Why are these men in the neon hats with the Proud Boys infiltrated with them? Why are they not identified? You know, Mark, the New York Times already confirmed there were at least two informants working with the Proud Boys that day who were communicating with their FBI handler. We also now know, as I put in my report, there was at least one informant in the three percenters. So we know that there were feds involved dating back to the summer, according to the uh, New York Times report on the Proud Boys informants. So we need to know, as Thomas Massey has raised this question and others, how many informants, undercover agents, were involved in the events before and on that day? And were they so desperate to uh, orchestrate this, this violence that they really put people at risk? in order to create all of these optics and now this this persecution of almost 700 Americans under the Capitol breach probe by Joe Biden's Justice Department. Mm-hmm. And you see what they've done through Project Veritas and James O'Keefe mm-hmm. recently, right? I did. Unbelievable. They, they were prepared to break into his home. They uh, cuffed him. He was half-dressed uh, before the sun rose, threw him up against the wall. Uh, ransacked, searched his home. Uh, and based on the factual record, I don't even know what crime. I mean, I know what they put in their warrant, and some judge signed off on it. Um, I think the FBI is out of control. Federal law enforcement's out of control. You saw what they did to Trump's 
campaign and what they did to Trump as more and more information comes out about the Obama administration. This is why I call this American Marxism. Do you agree with me? This is not socialism. This is not progressivism, democratic. This is the real deal, is it not? It is. Your description is far more accurate. Socialism doesn't even start to touch what's happening now. And what you just described about the FBI, they are terrorizing people across this country. And, Mark, we're talking about people charged with misdemeanor trespassing charges. Their lives are being destroyed. We have a political prison. We have judges of all sides. This includes Trump appointees, Obama, Clinton, Reagan, who are signing off on pretrial detention orders, lecturing people for being domestic terrorists and traitors. I mean, this is what's happening in our nation's capital to people across the country for the mere fact that they supported Donald Trump or they don't support Joe Biden. Um, This is just, and for people who think that this is overblown rhetoric, trust me, it's not. I listened to another court hearing today would be just astonished and especially you with your expertise at what these judges and prosecutors are getting away with in court um, in service of of punishing people who oppose the election of, of joe biden judges aren't supposed to be giving their opinions and lecturing anybody because uh this pre-trial kind of bias is absolutely unacceptable and it violates the uh, judicial code of ethics if there's going to be a trial in front of this judge, the judge already gave his or her opinion. The judge already gave his or her opinion. How can they sit uh, objectively and make some kind of a ruling? Uh, this is really I, quite remarkable in this country. We have a breakdown of the judiciary, particularly within the boundaries of Washington, D.C., of some of the most, in my view, hideously partisan activist judges that have ever sat And so now they're going to lecture people. Tell me, did they ever lecture anyone from Black Lives Matter? Did they ever lecture anybody from Antifa? I saw the way these uh, real domestic terrorists were treated. Many of them were Barack Obama's buddies. When they actually blew up a room near the majority leader's office in the Senate side in the Capitol building, every single one of those individuals who were involved in that received a pardon. Or the shooting that took place in the House gallery. Injured a number of people, including a congressman. Those that survived, they received a pardon. Or the FALN, every one of them received a pardon. And so we have people putting aside those who attack cops. But you have people who were doing nothing but standing on the grounds of the Capitol building. The grounds of the Capitol building. Who never even entered the building. Who have been charged. And they're being threatened And Julie, I know this for a fact. They're being threatened. They're being told, either you plead to this misdemeanor of doing this, that, or the other, or you're going to have a full felony trial. People cannot afford it. And that's what's going on. And the idea that the American media is so propagandistic that they won't even look at what's going on in this jail. They won't even look at these cases. They won't even... They won't even report honestly about what's going on. Instead, they hold up Liz Cheney, and they hold up Adam Kingsinger, and the great Nancy Pelosi, blah, blah, blah. It is shocking, and you're closer to this than I am. I bet you never thought you'd see this in your life. No, my jaw drops every day, including today. What I heard in Judge Timothy Kelly, a Trump appointee uh, judge, what I heard in his courtroom today. What happened? uh, A man, right? I mean, I, I... I'm glad I'm not a lawyer because I think I approach it as a regular American who just cannot believe this is happening in America right now. 
What happened with that judge? Can you tell us? <clears throat> well, I'll tell you as quickly as I can. Ryan Samsell has been behind bars since his arrest January 30th. He did not get a formal indictment until August 25th. Uh, he's been transferred to three different jails because he was assaulted in the D.C. jail. He's been assaulted again in a jail in Northern Neck, Virginia. He's begged for for a, the judge today to transfer him to another jail, even though, Mark, he still has no trial date. And the judge couldn't even set a trial date today. The judge is going doing the best that he can, bending over backwards to give the government, DOJ, exactly what they want. Won't even entertain the idea that this man's life is in jeopardy and needs to be moved immediately. In fact, he questioned himself in court, open court today, whether he had the authority to do it, which, of course, he does, because he has sentenced this man to months. He's been in, in solitary confinement 24 hours a day since early September with no explanation to his defense attorneys or to the court. And Judge Kelly was not even interested in finding out why Ryan Samsel has been languishing, rotting in solitary confinement, denied his constitutional rights, and abused by prison guards at the same time. People don't know that in many cases these federal district judge appointments are throwaways. Now, what do I mean by that? The way it works is this, and I know because I used to be involved in the selection of appellate judges and even Supreme Court justices in the Reagan administration. These district judges are recommended to the President of the United States from people who live in these various districts. And typically, they are political friends or donors mm-hmm. who have judicial, excuse me, who have legal backgrounds, maybe they're litigators, civil or criminal, or what have you. And so most of them, or certainly many of them, don't have any judicial experience prior to getting on the trial bench. Some of them do in the states, but most of them don't. And so it's not necessarily that you're getting the most qualified, or even highly qualified individuals in these slots. Because a president wants to protect the circuit courts where the appeals occur. And the president will often make a deal with a senator to, uh, to help support a circuit court judge or even a district judge the president wants. The president might have to sign off on a couple of these district court judges. So when we say as an example that this Judge Kelly is a Trump appointee, this guy Kelly could very easily be a liberal, a Democrat, a radical libertarian. Who knows? Who knows? At the circuit court and certainly the Supreme Court level, that's much more uh, relevant. But these federal district court judges, you never know what you're going to get. Like, for instance, now, they have an Obama judge in Washington, D.C. handling the, uh, the, tr- the challenges to what's going on with this phony select Politburo committee that mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi has set up. She is a radical, she is a Democrat, and she's an Obama appointee. Yep. And she is Obama appointee through and through. Justice is not blind. Justice is not blind. And for any one of these federal district judges to be commenting on politics, to be commenting on January 6th, to be commenting on the innocence or guilt of the individual in front of them before they've even had a trial, to my view, that is an offense. That is a violation of judicial code of ethics. Well, you know all this, Julie Kelly. I want to thank you. Keep up the good work, okay? Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks for having me on. And God bless you. Take care of yourself. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This is a big deal. It's a big deal.
We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. For the next hour, we're going to go through some of this climate change fanaticism that I've been wanting to talk about. But before I do, Kyle Rittenhouse. It seemed rather obvious at the time. It seemed rather obvious after the prosecution reluctantly gave up the FBI video that was taken from a, uh, from a, a plane overhead at the time that Kyle... Rittenhouse didn't murder anybody. That he didn't murder anybody. And that the prosecution's key witness, I'm sure you've seen it online, I'm sure you've heard it on radio and TV, you know, people like to uh, regurgitate what the guy in front and what the guy behind said, not me, so I'll just summarize it. The defense counsel, which is superb, showed him a photo and asked him, Look, uh, you were running toward Kyle, correct? Yes. You pointed the gun at Kyle, isn't that correct? Yes. When you didn't point the gun at Kyle, he didn't shoot you, did he? No. So when you were running at Kyle and pointing the gun at him, he thought you were going to shoot him. That's when he shot you, correct? Yes. So there it is, self-defense. Another individual he shot hit him over the head with a skateboard. The trial's going very, very poorly for the prosecution, but here's the thing. This Kyle Rittenhouse, this kid should not have been charged with all these murders. No. And it turns out that their key witness had also been associated with a communist organization. Are you a member of the communist organization? No, of course not. But you gave a speech to them. Oh, yes. And he's also filed at least two civil suits, including against the town of Kenosha. And what the defense counsel pointed out, that in neither of those civil suits does he mention that he was armed. Neither of them. But here's a flashback montage to the extent we have time of how the media had already jumped on this guy. Because our media is a sickening, evil force in this country. We won't get to all of it, but hit it. Cut 12. Kenosha shooter, Kyle Rittenhouse. He murdered two people, by the way. Rittenhouse is basically what you would have had in a school shooter. He's a 17-year-old kid. He shouldn't have had a gun. He crossed state lines to supposedly protect property. No, he was going out to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the armed teenage vigilante. A 17-year-old vigilante, arguably a domestic terrorist, Picked up a rifle, drove to a different state to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, a guy who's deeply racist, went with weapons to a Black Lives Matter protest. The same thing over and over and over again. The media in this country are destructive, poisonous, cancerous, because they put in these slots reprobates. Evil, diabolical buffoons. I'll be right back. here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Mark Levin here. Our number seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Eva Stretch Pelosi is at a climate conference. This one was in Glasgow, Scotland. Apparently, Obama was in Ireland. He talked about the Emerald Isles when he was in Scotland. And yet, that refers to Ireland. Because Obama's a putz too. Now that said, here's Pelosi. Listen carefully. Cut 16, go. But we're here today to report on what we have done. This is a nearly trillion-dollar investment in Build Back Better and bipartisan infrastructure framework, recognizes the interconnectedness of climate change and gender justice, and enables women and girls... Whoa, 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 what? Climate change and gender justice? Are you telling me genitalia now have rights, Mr. Producer? Due process, equal protection, will you? Gender justice? They have so poisoned the vocabulary, the English language. Gender justice. Wow. And I thought I won't say what I thought. Go ahead. To lead a just transition to a clean energy economy of the future. Now it enables women and girls. Did she not listen to the OMB director not that long ago? These are... What did they call them? Birthing persons. It enables birthing persons to lead a just transition to a clean energy economy of the future. This is the insanity, the insanity that we're having to deal with right now. Climate change and gender justice. They call this intersectionality, as I point out in my book. So all these little Marxist movements overlap and work together and interconnect. That's why you don't call it socialism. Well, look at this, it's socialism. That's bad enough. It's not socialism. It's worse. It's more comprehensive. I can't seem to get that through the heads of Republicans on Capitol Hill, but I heard Governor DeSantis at the Republican-Jewish Coalition on Saturday. Maybe it was Sunday, but it doesn't really matter. And uh, he mentioned cultural Marxism. He's the only one of the bunch. Not Cruz, not Haley, not Pompeo, not Lindsey, not Rudolph. None of them, except DeSantis. Go. Our legislation advances our mission to decarbonize and realign every sector decarbonize. of the Decarbonize. How they invent words. Decarbonize. It's like that new word deplane and detrain. And de-defecate, I guess. D. Just put a D-E in front of it. Oh, look at this. I'm deplaning. Well, we're decarbonizing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you decarbonize, you also deoxygenize. May I? I think I will. Deoxygenize, because without carbon dioxide, we don't have what we call vegetation. What are all of you vegetarians going to do? 
I guess you'll become vegans. But without carbon dioxide, we do not have vegetation. And carbon dioxide is an important part of our atmosphere. Now, any idiot who took a science class in third grade would know this. But today, science class teaches us about the white-dominant society. Go ahead. It is a model of collaboration that brings together public, private, and nonprofit sectors to seal the, scale the solutions necessary for achieving net zero pollution globally. Net zero pollution globally. What in the hell does that mean? You see, Eva Stretch Pelosi won't give up anything that creates carbon dioxide in her life, including her big mouth. She's not going to give up the cars, the planes. She's not going to give up her mansions. Neither is that big, stupid husband of hers. What's his name again? Doesn't matter. George? What, what is it? Who cares, right? Isn't that the bottom line? He's in the background making a fortune. So, honey, uh, what's, what's the next piece of legislation we're working on? Oh, Paul. Excuse me. Paul Pelosi. Double P. P squared. Yeah, PP, I think. That's correct. Uh, but anyway, ladies and gentlemen, these millionaires and billionaires aren't giving up crap. Net zero pollution? First of all, as long as communist China, fascistic Russia, and our friends in India are around, there's not going to be net zero pollution. But how do you have net zero pollution? I don't have enough time. It's really unfortunate. Maybe I'll do this tomorrow. I'm going to get into this degrowth movement again because it's not just it's not just that they want us to stand in place. They want us to shrink our economy. Listen to me. That's the war on fossil fuels. They have nothing, nothing to replace fossil fuels with. Nothing. But this is my point. This is a degrowth movement to shrink the economy. You're too well off. You're too happy. You're using up the Earth's resources, although it's an impossibility. Has anybody ever looked at the planet, even in a picture? Can you find human beings on the planet? No, you can't. As if we are uh, somehow conquering the Earth. Somehow conquering the Earth. We can't even go a thousand miles into the center of the Earth. And the Earth is really, really big. It's laughable. It's stupid. But this is where we are. Now, I want to thank the large fossil fuel producers in this country, all large, small, medium, for what you've done for this country. You've improved our lifestyles, our quality of life, warm in the winter, cool in the summer, our ability to drive our automobiles, electricity you helped create. I want to thank all of you, the fossil fuels. I want to thank even the coal miners who we used to like in this country. We used to be concerned about black lung at all. Now we just want to put them all out of work. Same with those who run oil rigs. Same with those who drive trucks. That's right. We're going to have all the Ivy League schools run the country. And you know what's going to happen? We're going to starve to death. But here is Ilhan Omar, uh, expert in all things. And may I say with all due respect, a complete stupid ass. Cut 15, go. Right now, the U.S. doles out more than $20 billion every year to subsidize 
fossil fuel energy when that money could be spent on putting people to work or investing in... Are you kidding me? You're spending trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars? And I don't know what you mean, $20 billion in subsidies. I guess they, they include that in tax deductions. What do they want to do? Put these companies out of work? Out of business? Who, do they, who does she think works for these guys? We could put people to work. Hey, idiot! They do put people to work. Not only in their own companies, but throughout the country. Do they heat the Capitol building? Do they air condition a Capitol building? Does the Capitol building get fossil fuels? Does anybody see uh, solar panels on top of the Capitol building? Do you see members of Congress walking around with little beanies on their heads, with little batteries warming up their socks? Do you see them living as they want you to live? Of course not. Go ahead. Renewable energy. Large. Ah, shut up, you idiot. I'll be right back. Mud Lovin. Gentlemen, we're bringing some of the top authors with some of the top books in the country onto this program. And that includes, for sure, Sean Spicer, his book, Radical Nation, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, their dangerous plan for America. This is really the first book that's already taking on this administration. How are you, Sean? I'm well, sir. Um, Thank you for uh, giving me the honor of of talking about this tonight, because... You are uh, you have led the way in so many areas that it's it, it means a lot to to have you give the book an introduction like that because it, it really is the first comprehensive look at what is and can become a radical nation if we don't stop it. And just so people know, writing a book is not easy, and writing a book <laughs> that has to stay on top of the issues right up to the point of publication is especially difficult. And that is what you have done here, and you've broken it down. You've broken it down into. Uh, 1920 parts you've really looked at this carefully you've really analyzed this and it's also extremely readable it is the first book that's really taking on this administration so let me ask you a question you're probably sitting at home you're probably fuming over what's going on here is that what drove you to write this book yeah i mean in part because i i I think the biggest part mark is I, I think there, what is happening, it's right beneath our noses, and, and we have to understand that if we don't wake up, like slowly but surely, we will fall into this, what I call a radical nation. And, and I, I just don't think, you know, part of the, there's a, two chapters in the media, if you wake up and you don't listen to Mark Levin, you don't watch The Blaze or Newsmax, you you are not being told what's happening in this country and the motives. All the stuff that the Democrats do, build back better. I mean, it's all these things that are catchphrases. But the reality is is that they're creeping us towards socialism. They're creeping us towards more government that we can't get back. And we're being run by people who, in large part, are incompetent in the government. And I just the, – the media is not talking about these issues, about the lack of qualification for the people – and I, I felt like I need to do this because I, I've been there, I've done it, and I've been like, these people, I, I, the, the motives are there. Joe Biden has talked about, quote, transforming the country, talking about changing, quote, the structure and nature of our economy. I'm sorry. I don't think anybody knew that that was part of the campaign last year, but he's telling you what he's doing, and then all of these policies lead us towards that. But taken in bite sizes with the cover of the mainstream media, 
you're not able to see it. And part of it was to pull back that veil and say, here it is, this is what's happening, pay attention, and, and here are the sort of the decoder ring to the Biden-Harris administration. You talk about Team Biden and you talk about Biden, Inc. Elaborate yep. on that. So you've got two groups of people. You've got the, the sort of longtime grifters, uh, the Frank and Jim Biden, the family members, as well as Hunter. I mean, but this stuff didn't just happen, right? So I've got the family members and talk about, I mean, this started when he first got elected to the Senate. His brother was trying to, you know, had a, had a nightclub and it, he was getting financing and it would fall through his his big brother Jim, or Joe just happened to be on the banking committee. Uh, and so I detail all of that grifting. The second is the people around Biden, the people like who check boxes. I talk about Dennis McDonough and Javier Becerra. I talk about the fact that, think about this, Dennis McDonough is only the second person to serve as Secretary of Veterans Affairs that hasn't served in the military. And the only other person was Dr. David Shulkin, who Trump appointed because he had worked in the VA under Obama. He is a doctor, which is the largest uh, uh, service that the VA provides. So what is Dennis McDonough's qualifications? None. Why did he appoint Pete Buttigieg, a 38-year-old mayor of, India, of South Bend, Indiana, who oversaw a total of 66 buses to run the Department of Transportation, oversee the highways, airways, and seaways? You wonder why we have problems now, because we have unqualified people running these departments. Mm-hmm. And extremists, because the only thing they have to lean on, right, is their ideology, which is rather extreme. And you point that out in the book as well, don't you? I do. And, and part of it, like I said, is the motive. And if you just bear with me, one of the things that, they talk, that I talk about in the book and I want people to understand is they, they, they sort of say we want voting rights for the people of the District of Columbia. And, oh, well, gosh, everybody sits back and says, sure, voting rights, I can get on board with that. They don't want voting rights. The district used to be 10 square miles, part from Virginia and part from Maryland. I live in the part of Virginia that used to be D.C. It was given back in 1835 when they realized it wasn't going to be used. So the question is the one remaining piece where people live is what used to was given, taken from Maryland. If we want them to have voting rights, why don't we give back to Maryland, which was Maryland, and create a federal district from the Capitol to the White House? Problem solved, right? Except the district votes 95 to 5. So Democrats really aren't talking about voting rights. What they want is two more Democratic senators in perpetuity. So while they walk around and tell you fluffy things about voting rights and protecting the environment and all of these things, they're all code words for ways in which they can increase the size of government and get more power. Now, this is a very, very important point that you're raising. Because while they talk about we want more people to vote, count every vote, the way they govern is they reject uh, free will. They reject the input of the quote-unquote voters. They, they govern by bureaucracy. They govern by the iron fist. They govern by rules and regulations and court systems and so forth. Mm -hmm. So they want the vote to get into power, and once they're in power, they, want they reject the people it. who voted. Yes, and their single goal is to inject more government into your life so that you're addicted to government and then maintain political power. Why do you think they're letting people over the southern border? Those to them are future voters. But mark my words, this is what people have to understand. Last Tuesday night, I've been in politics for 30 years. If a party takes a drubbing in the polls, they normally come back and calibrate and say, guys, ahead of the next election, ahead of the midterms, we need to calibrate, kind of make sure that we stop looking so extreme. This administration understands that they want to have a radical nation. And so for the next 12 months, they are going to do everything that they can to pass every piece of legislation because they know 
that they will lose the House of Representatives. So people have to understand out there that what happened the other night wasn't a check. It wasn't an opportunity for them to say, wow, we went too far. It was a wake-up call. And the Democrats, as we saw just the other day with this vote, are basically going to say, we must get everything on our liberal, progressive, socialist agenda done in the next 12 months before we lose the House of Representatives. And we, as folks on the right, and people who care about and love this country need to understand that we need to be on guard and doing everything we can in the next 12 months to stop this. What kind of unity president has Biden been? You know, he ran on this. He was trying to point to Trump as divisive. He's been the most divisive president in my lifetime. What about you? Well, he said unity more than anybody else, so that's got to count for something. You know, I, I actually mentioned this in the book. He says the word over and over again. It's like saying, I'm going to be skinny, I'm going to be skinny, I'm going to be skinny. <laughs> you can't lose weight that way. You can't just say unity, 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 and get unity. I mean, this is a guy, just to be clear, President Trump in 2019 appointed me to serve as a member of the Board of Visitors of the U.S. Naval Academy. They fired not just me, but HR, General H.R. McMaster, General Jack Keane, um, all of these other folks on all the military service boards, West Point, the Naval Academy, Air Force, first time in history, history, that that has happened. This because, is a guy who's just, so just so the public, because you're serving for a term, a period of time. Three years. I, my term is up in 30 days. I would have, but they wanted, this is, if you were Mr. Unity, you'd say, okay, let the guy finish out his 30-day term, and we get to appoint someone new. Instead, they fired everybody, and frankly, they fired H.R. McMaster three days before he was headed to West Point to get the, the, the highest alumni award that can be bestowed on any former cadet. This is a guy who's eminently qualified to serve on the board. He used to teach there, and yet they go and fire them. That doesn't sound like a guy who wants unity. They dismiss anyone on the right. They say things like anyone who believes correctly that CRT is a problem is nuts. It doesn't exist. They are dismissive. And, all right, uh, I'm going to carry you over during the break. Is that all right? Absolutely. The book by Sean Spicer, Radical Nation, Biden and Harris's Dangerous Plan for America. You can get it at Amazon.com right now. Any major bookstore and, of course, on my social sites. Great book. Making sure the land of the free and the home of the brave stays that way. Dial Mark Levin now at 877-381-3811. The book is Radical Nation, Biden and Harris's Dangerous Plan for America by Sean Spicer. It's a fantastic book. You can get it at Amazon.com, any major retail store, or on our social sites on Getter and Parlor. Now, Sean Spicer, uh, as you wrote this book, what hit you in the nose? In other words, there's so many aspects to the radicalization of this administration. If you had to point to one thing or maybe two things, what would you, what would you point to? That the biggest takeaway to Joe Biden during the campaign talked about, I'm going to be the most progressive president ever. And because he'd been in Washington for almost half a century, which is laughable, he got dismissed by people on the right and the left that said, we know Joe, he's a pragmatic institutionalist, he's not going to be this bad. And I, I kept going back to this line, thinking he literally told us this in the campaign, and yet I think there was this hesitancy to exploit it and believe it. And yet here we are, 10 months in, and we were watching policy after policy.
policy go in exactly the direction that we thought it was. Because here's the thing, Mark, that I think is that I, I finally recognized. When Trump or, frankly, even Obama or, or Bush or whatever are, were president, they sort of were like, okay, here are the policies that we want, and we'll let history judge us as we will. Biden wants a legacy, and everything that he does is guided by that, right? So he wants to be the most progressive president ever. So how does he do that? One, he passes all these policies that we've talked about and continue to talk about, more government, more government, more government, more liberal policies, right? The other thing is he appoints these people, the Pete Buttigieg's of the world that I was just telling you about, because he wants to check a box and say, I was the person that, that had the first LBGTQ person to lead a department. Now, every Trump person out there is saying, aha, but Rick Grinnell, yes. Rick Grinnell is the first person in a cabinet, not the first person to lead a department. Kamala Harris, clearly rejected by her own party, but he wanted to be able to say, I chose the first woman of color. All this is is box checking. So at the end of an administration, Joe Biden can be looked at like the modern-day FDR by the progressive wokesters. And that's the thing that I, I don't think a lot of folks grasped during the campaign, is that he is singularly focused on legacy. And at the beginning of the book, I talk about this meeting that he has with all of these liberal historians. And he was basically saying, tell me what I need to do to base, to outdo FDR. And the people part was fascinating because he realized I can do all of these first. And folks on the left will always be able to point to me and say, well, Biden had the first woman of color. Biden had the first LBGTQ guy. And so to him, that's the accomplishment. It's not the most qualified. I mean, Trump would go through and, and make sure that, you know, this person versus that person, how qualified were they? What was their past? Did they go to Harvard? I mean, he was always, you know, into their qualifications. This isn't about qualifications. This is about checking boxes. And I think that just stunned me that it wasn't about, here's what I want to do, and I'll be judged by it. It was, I'm going to do all of these things in the hope and the promise that forever the left will look at me as the modern-day FDR that enacted all of these far-left policies and chose these people. I think you nailed it. I think you absolutely nailed it. For Joe Biden, it's about Joe Biden. It's about yeah. legacy, and it's about history. That's why he brought those historians in, so they would write about him, and he would, and he would influence uh, what they wrote about him. I think you're exactly right. I think his wife has a lot more uh, power in the Oval Office than people think, than people say. She's a very strong-willed and stubborn individual. Uh, happen to know that for a fact. And uh, then you have Ron Klain, an operator, who's been Prime around Minister a long Klain, time. As, as a lot of, uh, I put in the book, a lot of senators have come to call him Prime Minister Klain. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that should say a lot about where the power lies. And notice the media don't want to know about his health. They don't want to know about his medicines. They don't want to know about anything. So if, you're, if, if you are of the hard left, like, like the current governor of Virginia and his past, they are going to do everything they can to hold you up and build you up. Yep. And all these other issues that they apply against a Trump or a Reagan or anybody else, they're simply immune from those things. And this is your point about the media, of course. The media are corrupt. They are corrupt through and through, even now. With the elections in Virginia, what they have said about this lieutenant governor-elect, this Michael Eric Dyson, who is a complete reprobate, and this Jonathan Capehart, uh, more Cape Fear than Capehart, another punk, what they say about her, because she doesn't embrace their Marxist, yep. racist ideology, is disgusting. And yet, explain something to me, if you can. Comcast owns NBC and MSNBC. They bring in these race baiters and these bigots who say these things that they say. And they don't seem to mind 
What, what, what is with Comcast or AT&T that owns CNN and so forth? Well, I mean, I think that it's, it, to me, it's, they agree with it. Or they're scared of it. I don't know. They're, they're woke. But they're, to them, I mean, I'm with you. I watch some of these comments and say, if you just, if, if that person were white and said what, what Dyson said about Winsome Sears, if this was, if the roles were reversed, if a Republican, was, a conservative was saying that about a liberal, all hell would be breaking loose. I, I cannot believe the lack of backlash that, what, that these folks deserve and aren't getting. Um, but, but to your question, it's because the ownership wants this. They, I mean, there was a clip that we played on the show today. Stephanie Rule, who was oh, yeah. a business person at some point and is on MSNBC now, literally was giving pointers to them, saying Here, to the DNC chair, this is how you should sell this. This is how you should act. And I'm thinking to myself, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you're, she is literally telling him, say this, do this, do more of this and less of that. And I'm going... I cannot believe that nobody is calling this stuff out, but that tells you how bad it is when you can literally do it in plain sight and there's no consequence. I, I cannot believe this, but there are two chapters in the book about the complicity of the media. I mean, you have publicly funded reporters in the briefing room getting up and praising him, and no one thinks this is a problem. And then they, of course, talk about the right-leaning media. Think about how Jen Psaki does a press conference. She calls on all of the folks that are her buddies, her former colleagues. Remember, she worked at CNN. And then at the end, she throws a bone to Peter Ducey, who is always respectful, always professional, and frankly asks questions that are on the mind of every American that mm-hmm. has a brain cell. And then they go, oh, my God, she answered the tough questions. She never calls on anybody else. She has her five things. She checks the box. They praise her. They write down what she says, and then they move on. But nobody calls out anything because they're, they are complicit. This is their agenda. They are finally happy that they get to do all of the things that they wanted to see done in the country that Trump was doing that they, as journalists and as people, didn't approve because they're leftist. The book? Radical Nation, you can get it on Amazon.com, you can get it in Barnes & Noble, Costco, any major bookstore. I want to encourage you to grab a copy now. You can get it on uh, my social sites, such as they are, because I resigned Facebook and Twitter a long time ago. I agree with you on the corporations, and I would add one other thing. They know at those shareholder meetings that the left shows up. They show yep. up in mass, they pressure the board. We don't. And one of the things exactly. I'm pushing for now is we have to fight every aspect of what takes place in this culture now, not just in the classrooms. We need to go into these corporate board meetings now. We need to make demands that they focus on business and stuff. Well, I, focusing real, real on quick, the other. Yeah. I, I talk about this at the end of the book. There is a, a group called Second Vote Advisors. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing. They they are, have I happen to know that, who they are, and they are yep, terrific. You're right. They are terrific. All so, right. I think you're, but you're absolutely right. The last chapter of the book, Mark, I'll tell you this, is a call to action because we cannot just read things and say, I get it. We must act. Good idea. Sean Spicer, (laughs) Radical Nation. I encourage people to get it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Be well. I have a number of great links and sites in the back of the book, Chapter 7. Chapter 7. And I noticed something at MIT, which is one of my suggestions in Chapter 7 at the back of the book. That is that, that people have gone to these schools and have graduated from these schools ought to stop helping their funding. You know, they they build up these enormous uh, bank accounts, uh, and typically they sit on it. Well, you know what? 
people who've gone to these schools and graduated from these schools, they need to start using that rather than being boosters and supporters and donors. They should be the opposite. They should be using their positions, the alum, to fight what's happening to their schools rather than just supporting them because they're Harvard or MIT or Princeton. They should fight them. And this is why I said, if we get to over a million copies of this book sold, whether it's audio or ebook or hardcover, we are going to make a difference. We, together, us, and you are. You can see the things breaking out all over, whether it's school board meetings, whether it's the use of the Freedom of Information Act, whether it's the filing against certain so-called public entities with the IRS, whether it is trying to defund some aspects of these colleges and universities. I am telling you, you're having an enormous amount of influence. It's still under the radar. It's amazing because Washington, D.C. is blind. It's because despite the fact that we have other platforms with conservatives on them, they're either ignorant, jealous, or they're pushing some other agenda. But we continue to do what we continue to do on this platform and all the other platforms where we meet and speak. And I cannot thank you enough. God bless each and every one of you. I'll be right back. Lovin. Mr. Producer, working with Mr. Call Screener. Is there an individual to whom I shall speak? Let me hear the name. On the Levin app, Fairfield, Illinois. Eric, how are you, Eric? I'm good. Yourself, Mark? Very good. Let's let's pot that up a little bit more. Go right ahead. Hey, uh, I just wanted to call in and say thank you so much for uh, for the scholarship, um, the history, and and the activism that you laid out in American Marxism. Uh, as a result, I got it into the hands of my local school board here and. Uh, and they were fighting, of course, against the Pritzker administration here that has been, I mean, absolutely oppressive against local school boards, and it's, it's been ugly, the fight. Um, they were fortunate enough to retain an excellent attorney um, through the activism you laid out in Chapter 7 and fought it, and now our kids are mask optional here, so I want to thank you for, for that. Fantastic. Um, and then on the back side of that, uh, the, the parents around here started mobilizing not long after, and I got my copy that I had obtained, which fortunately and unfortunately I haven't seen in about two months because it's been being passed around to uh, to Good. parents uh, in the in the area to to use Chapter Seven um, as their their role model for activism uh, against this oppressive administration we've been dealing with. Well, listen, I want to thank you a lot, Eric, and I'm going to make an exception here. So, Mister Producer, Producer. Let's get Eric's uh, address and let's send him a signed copy of American Marxism since he hasn't seen his in two months. And he's using it. He's putting it to great use. It's circulating throughout the Fairfield, Illinois. Eric, thank you, my friend. I really, really appreciate that. Take care of yourself. By the way, I meant to thank Richie Z from WPHT, my brother. He's a great guy, isn't he? For filling in on uh, Friday. Let's go to Robert, Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. Speaking of, WPHT, go right ahead, sir. How you doing, Mr. Levin? I'm good, Again, thank a you. pleasure to talk to you. 
Thank I you. received your book, American Marxist. Thank you. And I'm on page 106, tying everything together. I appreciate it. Thank As you. for context, I think the only two presidents in my lifetime worth mentioning were Reagan and Trump, just to tell you where I'm at. Oh, my yeah. congressman is Fitzpatrick, a little moderate for my taste. Yeah, he is. He's, uh, you, he's, he's, he's actually uh, sometimes left of center, but he's trying desperately to hold on to that seat. That's in uh, Bucks County, right? Right. Yeah. But Ben Salem, right. Um, yeah. But I think that this infrastructure bill passing is A, a win for Manson and Cinema and a loss for the squad because they did not want the infrastructure bill without the social spending bill. Now the social spending bill stands on its own. Given that in the last election, I'm thinking four to seven Democrats at least are going to peel off from that because of their midterms coming up and i don't think i think this emboldens mansion and cinema i don't think now we have to worry about the bill i don't think we have to worry about losing the filibuster and i don't think we have to worry about supreme well Court let me just back. give you my uh, change of opinion here i think we worry about all of it until it's dead it's mm-hmm. like a military operation you got to worry about it all until it's over and uh, and you ought to take a look at that so-called bipartisan bill and, and all the crap that's in there that's going to affect us. Hundreds and hundreds of millions to the left. Hundreds and hundreds of million usurping state authority. Uh, it is a terrible, terrible bill. A certain portion of it, and not a big portion of it, goes to actual infrastructure. But even there, the $1.2 trillion, the vast majority of it has nothing to do with infrastructure. And so it really, in my view, they really took that bill and the other bill and broke them into two pieces, making the first one more malleable, more more digestible to the likes of Mitch McConnell because he got a few billion dollars for a bridge. Doesn't take much to buy off McConnell. Thank you, Robert. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And you folks, God bless each and every one of you. By the way, if you haven't yet, run over to Amazon, get your copy of American Marxism. So you have it for Thanksgiving and the other holidays.